You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today. A particular client that I was working with around the same time as my aha, you know, crossed that 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 threshold of six figures and sent me an email and was all excited. And but then she said, but oh shoot, I don't have any money. And it was one of those things where we don't really realize the degree to which just because our businesses might be doing well, that doesn't necessarily mean that that is trickling down to us personally. And that is a conversation that I am trying to instigate more and more and more because I really do believe that Every business decision that you make is a financial one, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a financial one that's having a positive impact on you personally. And I want to change that for folks. That was Jaquette Timmons, the author of Financial Intimacy and a regular guest on places like Good Morning America, Oprah.com, CNN, and so on. In today's episode, we discuss how the ways we make and spend money are more based on our feelings and identities than on cold, hard logic as well as how to pay attention to the data we're getting as we make decisions about earning and spending. I'm Charlie Gilkey, and this is Productive Flourishing. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now... On to the show. Jaquette, thanks so much for joining me again. You joined me for episode 49, which was Financial Success Doesn't Start in Your Wallet. And that was a great conversation. And, you know, I've told you this multiple times. You're one of my favorite people. I love your perspective on money and I love what you're doing in the world. So thanks for joining me today to jam about money and energy and um, making your otherwise um Good economic success translate into personal financial success. I think that's a good way of saying it. Okay. Thanks for joining me. Perfect. Well, I am so excited to be here. Thank you. <laughs> so you got a lot going on. You know, you're, um, it seems like you're on TV a, a quite a bit. Like every time I look up, I'm like, man, she's on another show talking about things, which is fantastic. I am so proud <laughs> of you and for you. Um, but, Thank you. Yeah. Um, but what's really interesting is like we had an email exchange. What was it like four weeks ago? Something like that. Mm-hmm. Where yes. you thought that you were going to do one thing in your business. But then when you sat with it, you decided to do something else. Right. And um, yes. this was from taking the Epic Launch Playbook. Um, and mm-hmm. the, I, I have to tell people after the fact that ELP does like all of my work. I think I'm realizing this. All of my work does different things than people think it does. Right. So one thing, it will help you do what you're trying to do if you really want to do it. But if you really don't want to do that, I try to design things so that it actually reveals that process for you. So you do something else. Right. And you don't waste your time on something that you didn't want to do or wasn't going to work out for you in the first place. So your commentary about that was super interesting. So pull us into that story, if you will. Sure. So I bought EPL because I wanted to give another shot at starting a group coaching program that I had launched uh, at the beginning of the summer with no success. And my uh, reasoning to myself was, well, you didn't do a lot of marketing. You had a lot of speaking engagements. You were doing a lot of traveling. Maybe if you just sit down and really focus on it and dedicate some time to it, you'll have different results. So I decided to do EPL with the intention of it helping me to do that. And the one thing that I said to myself was that I wasn't going to go through EPL in a a superficial way, that I was going to take my time, go through each module and do the work. And it was in doing that and ruminating on that that I started to feel like, wait a second, the reason I bought this is it's not really unfolding the way that I thought it should or was going to. So it really kind of caught me off guard. And I think the really pivotal moment or day, and it's, it's, it is as vivid for me today as it was on this particular day, was I got off the call with a coaching client of mine who is an entrepreneur and we're doing my successful, profitable and not broke program. And I just realized how energized, how excited, how just, I was just happy. And I was just like, 
I do not feel any of that when I think about this program. Even though I know that there's a need for it, I was just like, maybe it's just not me that needs to deliver it. But that was a hard thing to accept and then to write you about. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because there's this feeling like I committed to doing it and then I'm going to do it. And then all of a sudden I'm like not doing it. And in scenarios like this, it's, it's always hard to tell the difference between sort of that thrashing part of the project where it's just a bunch of stuff you don't want to do. Right. Mm -hmm. But you know Mm -hmm. that it's actually right for you to do versus stuff that you don't want to do. And you know, it's not right for you. Right. That's always a hard sort of things to distinguish. Right. But in this case, how did you make that, make that determination? Um, I, I didn't actually have this word until we were going through our email exchange exchange. But what you helped me to see was that the, the key piece there was the energy around it. And so I was like, ah, yeah, that's what it is. I don't feel energized by this at all. <laughs> like as a part of a fuller, bigger conversation, I'm all in. But as the key thing, I was like, no, this is not, this is draining me, actually. It's making me feel lethargic. It's making me feel uninterested. And then what I realized was that that was then going to have an impact on how I showed up. And if I'm not going to show up 100%, if I'm not going to show up putting myself in a position to give my best, to be as excellent as I can be, then why bother? And then the other thing that I realized is, Whatever revenue I was looking for that to to generate for me, I decided, well, why don't I just refocus that <laughs> and work on getting more one on one clients or more speaking gigs and aim to generate that revenue from that revenue what I was hoping to get from doing this program. That's fantastic. Now, to be clear for everyone listening, this is not a a ad for. Um, the Epic Launch Playbook, right, or ELP. That's not what we're doing. But really, what we're what we're talking about here is just the genesis for the conversation. That's about um, understanding how important your energy is towards the way that you might earn something, right? And um, now we don't necessarily mean this like cosmic energy, right? Now, if that works for you, if you're into that and that's your jam, then all you know, go for it. That's just not where. Um, Jaquette and I are coming from is really how does it feel to wake up and do the work? Like, how do do you feel lifted or do you feel, um, you know, weighed down? You know, do you, do you feel like, you know, and we can go through different metaphors like that. Like, do you feel like the wind is at your back, you know, with, with this, or do you feel like, you know, the wind is going against you and you got your lead anchors down. Right. And those are important things because, um, I realized this about, I don't know. 10 years ago, maybe longer, mm-hmm. but it's like, there are all sorts of ways to make money in this world, right? When you really think about it, there's, there's a, like a practical infinity, infinity of ways to make money. Mm-hmm. But there are a very small subset of ways that actually are aligned with who you are, that are going to help you thrive, and that are going to make you happy, right? And it's that smaller subset that you've got to do the digging in. Because if you just focus on, well, well, I might be able to make this dollar there. I might be able to do this thing. One, you're going to be incredibly unfocused and chasing a lot Mm -hmm. of things. But two, even when you are successful in those things, outwardly successful in those things, you're still not going to really um, make as much as you could or keep it. Right. Right. And that's the important piece, right? And so that's where, you know, sort of a bridge conversation we were going to talk about here is I think a lot of people focus on the the avenues of earning that maximize Mm -hmm. sort of what they might earn without thinking about the true cost of, of A, making that. Yes. But also thinking about the fact that, like, for most people, you know more about this as a behavioral economist, right? You know more about this than I do, but... My contention, my, my theory is that most people are not inherently motivated by money, right? Right. Um, mm-hmm. That it's an it's a, um, instrumental thing. We're motivated by mo- money can get us, but not right. by money itself. And so exactly. if you're working for a certain amount of money, but it's not getting you what you really want, mm-hmm. making more money is not going to help. 
right? Doing what you're right. doing is exactly. not going to help, right? Exactly. Um, yep. Now you've been in the trenches with people when this way more than I have, because you talk directly about money and success and making mm-hmm. money work for you rather than you working for money. Mm-hmm. So what have you seen on that front um, to sort of pull people into that world? So I'm going to answer that from two different perspectives. Um, one as for people that work for themselves as entrepreneurs and small business owners. And then I'll also answer it from the perspective of people that I know that work as employees, that work as employees in high earning situations, think associates at law firms, think associate at, associates at investment banks. And while they make a whole heck of a lot of money, if you were to actually I was about to say our lives, but that's not a word. (laughs) If you were to actually um, calculate their hourly wage when you factor in how many hours they put in, it's not really that much. And so um, let me just deal with the entrepreneur first. What I found, and I say this from personal experience of having this aha, and then also from working with some of my clients, is that you can look up or look down and see that your business is doing well vis-a-vis you're profitable and you're cash flow positive. But then when you look at your own personal financial situation, you realize, oh, wait a second, there's something missing here. In my case, I was like, oh, wait a second, I had a really good year, a profitable year, one of the best years, so then why do I feel so broke? Oh. Now I know why I haven't been like I haven't been adding to my savings or none of that. Um, a particular client that I was working with around the same time as my aha, you know, crossed that 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 threshold of six figures, and sent me an email and was all excited. And but then she said, "But oh shoot, I don't have any money." And it was one of those things where we don't really realize the degree to which just because our businesses might be doing well, that doesn't necessarily mean that that is trickling down to us personally. And that is a conversation that I am trying to instigate more and more and more because I really do believe that every business decision that you make is a financial one, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a financial one that's having a positive impact on you personally. And I want to change that for folks. Absolutely. You know, as I'm working with clients, like I don't do it on the personal finance side, but I ask the question, mm-hmm. you know, what income does your business need to pay you for you to a cover your expenses? That's one a uh-huh. B, you know, set up savings the way that that really support your life and C mm-hmm. support your long term wealth building goals. Right. Right. Sort of in that right. order. And that becomes mm-hmm. the baseline of what we need to look at from the business, because it's not like mm-hmm. we, like most people look at it the other way around where they look at what their business makes and then everything else that goes out. And then what's left over is what right. they pay themselves and, and like, right. and things like that. And while that's a way to look at things, cause that's, that's the way the balance sheet, the P and L statement and everything looks, you really have to mm-hmm. reverse that and say, okay, totally. Um, what does this need to be? And what am I going to do about it when it's less than that? Right. Because it's, you know, um, it's, it's sometimes one of those scenarios where it's more money, more problems, right? Where it's like you make right. more money and then you, you, you know, change your goals for what you actually need. Like, you know, before you make 200 grand a year, you know, income, it's like, I can make it on three grand a month. And then once you start making 200 grand a year, you're like, <laughs> I, I, I need six grand to make it per month. It's like, what happened? Right. right. What happened in one's life? That, right. that now all you need is you know, like you need more than what right. you needed in the beginning. You actually probably right. need less, right? Because you've been able right. to pay some, one would hope, right? But we do that, right? right? We we totally yeah. do that as people. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. We adjust our needs based upon our income, and you know, and it, it messes yep. us all up, right? Um, so yeah, you got to okay. start with you know what does your what income does your business need to pay you? For this to work. And the second thing that I want to say, because I, I sometimes I'm a curmudgeon about things, you know this, Jackette, but sometimes people are talking about their profitable and like how profitable their business is. And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. Now are we talking profit after it pays you the salary that it needs to pay you? Exactly. Exactly. Um, are we talking about <laughs> really what's you know what's left over? Right after operational right. expenses, right? Because if you're not factoring in what your business needs to pay you as the owner, you can't say that it's profitable in that way because at a certain point, 
you have to look and say, you know what, financially, you would be better off with a middle management job, right? Where you actually made that, right? Yep. Um, Then (laughs) having a multiple six figure business, but you're still making $26,000, right? Right. Exactly. Um, (laughs) And so you really, you really have to look at those types of things. But so that's the second thing is like, when when you talk about profit, if you're talking about it in the business context, always, always, always make sure you're talking about what's the profit after you've paid yourself what you need to make to live the life, like at least at a level, right? At least at what you need to make to get by. Because if you're not making that, like the business is not working for you in the right way. Now, I'm not saying if it's not working now, it will never work for you. I just want people to be honest about that. Because if you're living off savings and credit, you got to fix that at some point or you're going to run out of savings and credit. And then there you are. And I think that's what makes that kind of a conversation a hard one to have. Um, And that analysis, whether you do it on your own or you do it with someone else, why it can be a difficult process, because it, it, it forces you to confront what am I doing? How am I doing it? Why am I doing it? And what does this mean? Like, does it mean that I need to pivot and and change something about my business model or my sales process? Does it mean I need to pivot and fold and do something else? work as an employee, join somebody else's firm. Those are big life decisions that sometimes um, you are confronted with having to make and they're not comfortable. (laughs) Yeah, they're not comfortable. And one of the reasons they're not comfortable is that there are no sort of black and white answers here, right? Now, while I just said a minute ago, you may be financially better off to be a mental manager. Notice that I did not say you might be better off all things considered. Right. Because it might be true that you'd make more money as a middle manager, but, you know, driving an hour back and forth through, say, California traffic, and that's a good commute, might not be your jam. Right. right? You might say, you know what, that's not how I want to spend my life. I'm willing to make less with that trade off. And Mm -hmm. I still got to make ends meet. Right. That has long term repercussions. Right. I can't. um, I can't do what I'm doing and think that I'm going to be on the cover of Inc., which, by the way. That's a whole nother conversation, but I'm not going to go on that rant, right? Um, it, you know, it's absolutely fine if your business is designed to provide you a, you know, um, a middle income, right? Or, you know, it provides a certain amount of income. You don't necessarily have to have a business that pays you a million dollars every year for it to be a successful business, right? How that's right. defined is really based upon your goals. But at the same time... Right. If your business is not paying you, you've got a really expensive hobby, really right. expensive hobby, right? Yes. Um, and, and, got- and one that's not just expensive in the moment, it's one that is actually eating away at your future. Yeah, eating away at your future. Um, and so, turns out, people don't like that conversation. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> It's a hard conversation. It really is, right? Um, totally. It totally is. It, it totally is. And I was thinking about this this morning. I was thinking about New Yorkers in general, right? And I was like, so here's the thing. Here's here's the way I think through it, right? And I know New Yorkers are going to hate this, but I'm like, the, if you were really thinking through how to do it, you would make it before you moved to New York, right? You would make their success before you moved to New York. So you didn't have to do the making it in a really expensive place like New York because it's hard. It, it is super hard. hard. Like I know there's a lot more opportunities, <laughs> but it's also super hard, right? And so exactly. I've seen enough people exactly. sort of make it elsewhere and then move to New York, and they're going like right. baller, right? Uh, right? But I've seen totally. some people that started in New York, like I'm going to move to New York to start my thing, and I'm like, I don't know about that one, right? Don't, yeah. right? I mean, there are certain yeah. industries you almost have to do that, right? You know, acting might right. be one of them. Um, you know, there are certain certain ones where you almost have to do that, but a lot where you don't. Um, But my whole point in saying that is um, you really, for me, income is largely the proxy that you can use to determine what options you have in your life in certain certain, um, circumstances. I know that sounds obvious, but making, say, 10 grand a month in New York doesn't get you nearly as far 
in some ways is making five grand in Omaha, Nebraska. Right. Totally. And yep. so you got to, yep. there are these trade-offs that, that, and it makes it hard because you have to be like, look, you could make this number here and it means X mm-hmm. or you can make this number here. It means Y, or we can take this revenue that's coming into your business and we can hire some folks, which always sounds great till you look at the P and L statement and the balance sheet. And he's like, but if we hire those folks, we're probably not going to be able to pay you more than right. You're paying them more than the minimum because there's not enough to go around. So would you rather hire someone and, and, you know, not do that work and maybe get your life back and so on and so forth? Or would you rather do that work yourself and keep the money? Right. But recognizing that there are no free lunches here. Right. If you keep the money, that means you're going to wake up overwhelmed. Like if you're overwhelmed now, we got to figure out something different. Right. Um, But if we hire someone. Go, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, oh. I was going to say, as I'm listening to you, yeah. one of the things that are, that's coming to me is the whole notion of identity and how that plays into making it in New York versus making it somewhere else, how it plays into how you actually, um, the lens through which you analyze the situation that you're in and how do you navigate your way through it? I think a lot of it is so tied into how you are self-identifying in that moment and how that reality of the situation bumps up against that. Yeah. And I think that's where I mentioned earlier, like we, we make double the revenue or make double the income, right? I'll, I'll speak Mm -hmm. generally. We make double the income, but then we double our needs, as it were, what it costs to live, right? Because we self-identified right. differently than we were. Like, we used to be the person that could just, like, you know, squeeze two pennies together and make it work, right? But all of a sudden, it's like, no, we don't, not, that's not who we are to do that. Like, right. that's not who I am. I've right. worked hard enough that I don't have to do that anymore. Right. Okay. Right. Um, <laughs> but that also has other, mm-hmm. other downstream consequences, right? Um, and... Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's great when, when you start having the identity conversation, like, what does this money mean to you? What does this lifestyle mean to you? What does this car, what does this house, what does it mean to you rather than it just being the given, right? Because it turns out Mm -hmm. cars, most good cars last longer than three years. You don't have to get a new one every three years, right? Exactly. Uh, Turns out we we were joking about this earlier. Jackhead knows where I'm going, right? You didn't know this was going to come in, right? We were just talking about our old computers, right? Jacquette's got one. It's from 2008. I don't know how this mug is still running, right? Um, but it turns out, like, unless you really have a lot of identity around having the newest, fastest thing that Apple or, you know, um, Google or whoever has made, you can make things stretch a lot further. Um, yeah, Totally. And so, for what it's worth, I've got a 2011 MacBook Pro that I've been hanging on to. So, it's not just Jackette holding on the stuff. It's Charlie holding on the stuff, too, right? Um, but, I mean, there are serious choices here. We're like, you know, we're both speakers. We're both, you know, our, we both do things in front of people, right? And so, mm-hmm. walking in with this ancient-ass, you know, computer, right? Um, that, right. Like, you can't even put it, put it in the backpack. you got to have, like, a little tow cart behind it because it's so heavy, you know? <laughs> Um, you know, oh my God, it's so true. It could be a representation <laughs> of one's identity if you don't take it. But Jacquette pro- also brought up when we were talking about that. She's like, but also, you know, it could be that it just shows that how she's using her money and and paying for things that matter more than a computer that still works really well. But again, we I don't think we talk about the fact that like the things we buy are identity statements. Exactly. And a lot of times we're not consciously choosing that identity, right? We're just sort of yes. following. Yep, totally. Well, because it also, you know, that just relates to the fact that so much of our beliefs around money are at a sub subconscious level. And the same is true with regards to identity. I think we don't, we don't invest a lot of time or as much time as we probably should <laughs> kind of exploring where, where those, um, identity markers come from and how much of those are the ones that we have embraced and claimed as our own versus those that we have inherited and we've never questioned. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I see, 
a lot of times when we're having coaching conversations or consulting conversations, they're just conversations and they're around these sort of deeper level sort of abstract things like identity. A lot of times I actually back into those based upon like the visceral feelings one has when confronted with certain things, right? Mm-hmm. The visceral feelings, like when you do act, when you think about X, Y, and Z, how does that make you feel is actually right. can be a really good marker for um, not what your true core identity is again, I'm not sure what that really means, but we kind of have a rough idea, but it gives some identity lines, right? Because you don't care about things. Some mm-hmm. things, let me put it this way. Some things we care about, some things we don't like. I was talking to, um, I forget the name of the guest off the top of my head, but like notice that most of us aren't envious over, aren't envious about the careers of janitors, Right. We don't, there's nothing in that career that most of us really want, right? And so we don't right. find that, we don't have like the envy, like we don't give them the side right. eye when we see them out there doing their work right. and so on and so forth, right? We right. don't follow their Instagram right. feeds for many reasons, but right, we don't have right. sort of that association with it. And I'm not trying to say that that being a janitor is not a um, valuable a job, job or anything yep. like that. I'm just saying mm-hmm. most of us don't want to be a janitor. So exactly. we don't, we're not envious of janitors. However... Yeah. Um, you know, we can be incredibly envious of, uh, you know, writers or, you know, um, Mm -hmm. speakers or TV stars or, you know, X, Y, and Z, like doctors. And we totally are envious of that. Right. Yes. And I think that's worth paying attention to. What is it about that particular thing? Right. What is it? Mm -hmm. um, um, Because that starts to be these identity lines, um, you know, it starts to show you those identity lines. And so um, you might, invest your time, energy, attention, and money differently if that's what you really want Uh to be. Um, But if you notice, the the reason I'm saying here, but if you notice that you're sitting in a field, like I noticed this about myself about 10 years ago when I was in academia or when I was um, finishing my my work in grad school, as I was sitting around in this classroom, we were talking about different things, Jacquette. And at a certain point, I realized, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. Hmm. Like, I don't, like... This is not what I want to do. These, I mean, I love the people here. This is interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to be 20, 30 years doing this, right? right. There's, more, there's right. more to life than this, right? Right. And in a right. way, I, I immediately, in that sort of moment, I realized that I wasn't envious of my faculty anymore. I wasn't, like, mm-hmm. I didn't, I wasn't called to do that, and I wasn't envious of their life, and I didn't right. have that sort of aspirational thing anymore. And I was right. like... You know, this is just a job, man. Mm-hmm. And it's a job I don't want. Right? Right. Um, right. For so many different reasons, it's a job that I right. that that I don't want. And that was right. sort of the beginning of the end for me, right? Um, but the reason I say that is if you're doing something, whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're an employed person and you're in a room with folks, and my, my feeling is this, you might think differently about this, Jacquette, but my feeling is if you look around the room and there's not anyone in the room whose life you want to have or who, who, mm-hmm. who really calls you, like that person's doing something really amazing and I'm inspired by that. Like if you look around the room and mm-hmm. you're not inspired and you're mm-hmm. not called, you mm-hmm. might want to find another room to be in. I totally, totally agree. Totally agree. I feel like you should never be the smartest one in the room. <laughs> you should never be the smartest one in the room. You should never, or, or let me let me put it this way: you should never feel like you're the smartest one in the room. <laughs> should never feel that way. Yeah. Well, I think you should it's, never feel that way. I think it's beyond <laughs> intelligence, too. Though I mean, I think that's true, but I think it's like if you're in the room where you know you feel like you're the most aligned and um, accomplished or you're yes. the most um, committed, or you're the most whatever value thing it is, and you're the mm-hmm. you're the most in the room, and there's no one in that room that really like challenges you and inspires you, like you need to get in another room. Now, it might be that you need to find another room of people, right, to do that with. Right. Um, but it might be that any room that has that sort of that function or any room that's in that career might not be for you, right? Um, and exactly. that, that you're sort of in the wrong space. And that gets tricky because what might have resonated with you 10 years ago might not resonate with you now. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And, 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 so, and I think it also speaks 
I think it also speaks to sometimes you have to understand um, perhaps what your role in that room is. So maybe you're in the room and yeah, I said, you know, <laughs> the, the goal is not to feel like you're the smartest one, but if you are the one that's the smartest one in the room or the room or the one that, you know, everybody else is looking to as the one that is inspiring, maybe you're the role model for the people in that room, but that can't be your only room. Like that means you need to have several rooms. And I think the, the mistake that people make is being in that room but not expanding it and not changing as you were just alluding to when your life shifts. So they stay in the same room with the same people and they're on the same track and they don't really invite other people into the circle or ask to join other, other rooms. Yeah. And so I guess it's just one of those things. Like you got to find that space in your life um, where you are challenged for growth and you're doing with other people. So, I mean, we've, we've been hanging around in this room space for just a little bit, right? But it could be that your job is to um, uplift the room and really transform it to be what it needs to be so that everybody is growing and everybody is contributing and things like that. That might be your job, right? Your job might be to leave that room. And mm -hmm. for by your leaving that room, they recognize that, wait a second, this we're not doing anything here, right? We got to, we right. got to get our act right. together, right? Cause sometimes I've, I've right. been in those rooms, right? I've been the, I've been in the right. room where someone who was that person left the room and I'm like, we got to get our shit together, man. Like <laughs> <laughs> we got to up our game, right? right? right. I've been in exactly. that room it's, it's, and it's a good move, right? It's a, it's a good right. move, right? So it's like, oh, exactly. so, you know, um, so maybe that is, maybe you find it in the room, but again, um, I think, how you know this is not a matter of knowing as much as it's a matter of feeling, right? Because if you go into the headspace of things, if you go into just, like, just thinking through, you can come up with all sorts of reasons, right, for why things are. But if you walk into that room and you just know that, like, you're dreading it, nothing good's going to happen, right, so on and so forth, you got to honor that. And back to our point, that's an identity marker, Right. Not telling you what you should do, but at least it's one of those things where I want you to listen and say, okay, something's up. Because um, how this relates to money, as it were, is like if you've been numbed out by what you're doing and it's not making you happy, you're going to spend your money, your hard-earned money, to do the things that make you happy, to fill that hole, right? And so you have this sort of option here. You can make more money and make more money doing something you don't want to do. Make more money mm -hmm. like doing something that, that makes you feel drained and depleted. And then spend your money to do the things that fill you up. That's an option. That's an option a lot of people take, unfortunately. I, I say unfortunately. It's not like a moral judgment. But it's like sad in a right. way that that's what people right. will do. Because it's their life. It's their future. right? It's their time with their families and everything. right? So you can do that. Or... You can choose to find those things that fill you up, that have those intrinsic motivations, right? Um, and you might make less. Like, this is why some people say they work in the nonprofit sector, right? They can make way mm -hmm. more in private sector. They can make a lot more money. But right. what are they going to do? They're going to make a lot more money, spend more money, and then donate to causes, <laughs> right, to, to <laughs> right. do the thing. And they're like, wait a second, right. I could just be a part of the cause that I want to build. That's a lot. That, right. like, that can be a good move for people. Right. Exactly. So I just want to introduce that because I think that's true from um, I've seen that in so many entrepreneurs where they end up adding things to their business that they fundamentally don't like. Right. Because, yeah. you know, a customer would potentially say yes. And so they need to have something for that customer to say yes to. So they do it right. because right. money. Right. Right. Um, right. And then they do more of it and then they do more of it. And then turns out more people want that. And so they have this entire sort of armor of their business where they fundamentally don't like it. Um, and so what mm -hmm. do we do? We hire someone right. to, to, to manage that portion of the business, but mm -hmm. to hire someone, that means we've got to pay them, which means <laughs> exactly. right, we get that whole wheel going on, on that exactly. side, right? The, the same way that we do yes. 
when we're, you know, employed. It's like, you know, mm -hmm. I want, I really, I'm just showing up to get a paycheck, yo. That's what I'm here for, to get the right. paycheck. Right. So that I can go scuba diving on the weekends, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but then when you mm -hmm. look at the cost of scuba diving or golfing or whatever, right? You're like, yes. it might be other ways for you to be happy, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. Maybe being a golf pro, you might not make a damn thing. But you know what? Right. You might already be broke anyways, right? You might as well be right. doing what you love, right? Right. And be broke, right. right? Than to do what you hate and be broke. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because as I was listening to you, um, I just wanted to pull out the whole piece of uh, feeling because that's what, that's what led to my aha. It wasn't, I, I didn't think my way while yes, I was ruminating on the information in the modules, but I didn't think my way to that revelation. It was a feeling that was, that served as the aha for me. So I just wanted to really pin, put a pin on that for folks listening in to just highlight how you have to pay attention to what you're feeling because there's a lot of insight in there, but you'll miss it. <laughs> You'll miss you it. So you, so there's several things that will happen. One, you won't hear it because you're so right. busy trying to make the thing work. Like you've already committed to mm -hmm. it. Like in your case, you committed to doing mm -hmm. the course in a certain way. You're going to get it done. Damn it. You've been paid for this program. Damn it. You've, you, you know, you're going to do it for reals, for reals, for reals. <laughs> and so, when the, you know what I'm saying? So when it comes up, yeah, it's like, totally. but I said I was going to do it, right? I said, like, you can't even hear this whole thing. Like, maybe you don't want right. to do it, right? You're just like, I said I was going to do right. it. I'm going to do it because I'm the person that says I'm going to do it. Commitment consistency kicks in. And then all yeah. of a sudden, you're doing it, which, you know, there's a good time and place for commitment consistency when you're aligned, right? Um, yeah. But just because you said yes to something yesterday for bad reasons doesn't necessarily mean you need to do it today for those bad reasons, right? You can negotiate yeah, more than people know. That's where permission comes in. Giving yourself permission is really, really key. And then also not looking at that as um, a source of failure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and also going back to what you were mentioning before in terms of seeing other people, because I think part of it also was seeing other people do stuff around the topic. And I don't know the, you know, back of the office stuff details, but from the outside, <laughs> it looks like they're doing well. It's like, well, hey, I should be able to do well too. Then it's like, but no, let them, let them have that space. That's, that's not yours and it's okay. And it's not a failure if you don't actually follow through. Yeah. So Something that's helpful to remember is that we curate our identity for other people. Like when you look at their Facebook feeds, you look at their Instagram feeds, you look at the stories they're telling you, they have curated what they wanted you to see, right? Very true. They have not necessarily told you all the dirty laundry, right? They have not necessarily mm -hmm. told you about them waking up at two o'clock in the morning, dreading something or being terrified of something. They've curated that experience. Now, the only reason I say that is if your marker for whether or not you should do something is based upon mm -hmm. what other people have presented to you. Um, right. You are getting a curated experience. I'm not saying people are lying, right? Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes mm -hmm. they do, right? That, that, that clearly mm -hmm. happens, but right. you know, we just don't necessarily lead first with our dirty laundry, right? Um, we just don't right. lead first yep. with, unless there are some people who do some people who will tell you all of their stuff as it's happening. Um, you know, they, they've got the banner of authenticity and transparency, like flying high. Like some people will do that, right? Most of us right, right. naturally show up, right? Um, and it's like, how are you doing today? Like, how are you doing today? You hear, like, I'm doing all right. You don't hear, like, man, I got a bad case of the diarrhea, right? You don't hear that, right? right? Exactly. Just don't. Exactly. <laughs> right? um, exactly. And so recognize that... Um, you can't use that as an external marker for whether something you should do. And that's, again, where the internal markers come in, those internal feelings of, because that's what's true for you, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. And what, what is true for you will endure, and what is false yeah. will not, right, one way or the other, exactly. right? And so, exactly. um, yeah. so first thing is you won't hear. The second thing is you'll rationalize the hell out of it. It's like, oh, I'm just feeling this way today. You know, I just don't mm -hmm. want to do it, so on and so forth. And again, it goes back to knowing that, 
knowing whether this is hard and I don't want to do it, but it's totally aligned with what I need to do. Right. That's one Mm -hmm. option. And that can be whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you've got a career that happens a lot. Right. Um, Totally. Versus like actually, writing a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. Um, um, versus, I want, I don't want to do this, right? I don't want the end result. This is not aligned with me, and I'm sort of making myself do something. That's a long road for suffer for suffering, and yeah. you know that's a that's a very good way to be on the struggle bus for a long time. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think if you're in that last category, if you are not intentional about that, that can make that bus ride really long. Meaning sometimes you do have to be on that bus of, um, I need to suck it up. I need to do this for a short amount of time, but in a year or in six months or whatever the time frame is, I'm getting off. But if you're, if you're not intentional about that, you can end up on that for years and not even realize that you missed the bus stop where you were supposed to get off. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And so that's where, you know, to riff and piggyback more on that is knowing where that bus stop is and speaking to it before you get there. Right. Because if it's just some later time, you'll figure it out. Mm hmm. Nah, that's just going to be so true. Right. Um, The only way you're going to get off of it is in crisis. Right. right. Something happens and you've had enough yep. or something throws you off the bus where it's just one of those clear and present things where the stop is now. Right. Right. Um, right. But we don't necessarily yep. have to live our life from crisis point to crisis point, you know. Um, yep. And so totally. it could be something, for instance, you know, um, I got some news about my dad. And the thing that's going on with my dad right now, like he's going to require some different um, options for his care. Right. So he's living with my brother. Now he might need to live somewhere else so on and so forth. Right. And there are a lot of different options that might come up, right. For my brother, for me, for my siblings. Right. And we can look at it mm-hmm. and say, you know, we're going to do this until dad passes. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to do something different. So we're going to do this particular option until we see that he has to be in full-time nursing home. Right. Um, so there's a very clear point. And my, my point of bringing this up is I know a lot of times when we start talking about feelings, right, there's, I think there's this bias where people think that we're just selecting sort of those happy, joyful, like inspired feelings, right, um, sort of on the positive end, on the spectrum, as it were. But sometimes mm-hmm. you go into something and you know that even though it's going to suck, it's still like aligned with your values for you to do, right? Right. And Absolutely. And it's not going to make you like, you're not going to have the affect of happy every day, right? To do it, yes. right? Uh, right? You're not going to be that chipper morning person, right? That just, yeah, yay, this is the best yes. thing ever. No. Exactly. Um, and it all. can still be the absolute right thing for you to do. You just got to know mm-hmm. that that's a certain place in time, right? So, exactly. you know, as, as challenging as it is, is with my dad, it's got an end point, right? Um, a right. very natural yep. end point. But mm-hmm. sometimes with careers and with your business, mm-hmm. that endpoint does not exist, right? Exactly. Um, and I was talking to someone last week, and she was asking me about being an executive coach and what that's like and so on and so forth, and why I made some choices the way that I made them. And I was like, you know, about four or five years ago, I did a bunch of interviews with executive coaches who were in their you know 50s and 60s. And I asked them, like, what their life was like. Like, what are they struggling with in their career? Like, what's going on for them? And I noticed that so many of them had problems that were mirrors of the problems that I have now, right? Mm. Or that I had then. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I don't need to do what they've done for the next 20 years to end up in the same spot I already am in, right? <laughs> right. Uh, Right. I can just bypass mm-hmm. that whole sort of thing. Right. right? Um, if they want to make, if they're like busy out selling their services and, and keeping their consultants full and like field and then trying to figure out how to make time and things like that. I was like, well, I have time to write and, and finish the book and, and write that. I'm like, well, I'm already got a version of that. Like I still, mm-hmm. you know, I still want to write books. That's what I want to do. Um, I still, you know, want to work with clients and I don't need to do this for another 20 years. Right. Right. Um, but right. I think the only reason I bring that up is because, again, that's an example of how, as an entrepreneur or a small business owner, 
you can do that sort of later, I'll figure this thing out sort of scenario. Two decades, three decades into it, you're still figuring out the same thing, right? And I think the same thing is true yeah. for on the career side of things, where you can say at this some point, like at some point I'm going to do this thing that I love. Like I know this thing that I want to do or this change I want to make uh-huh. and I'll do it later. Uh-huh. Not going to happen. Yeah. And, and time goes by so quickly. I mean, look at the fact that, you know, we're, we're where we are in the year already. <laughs> and it seems like it just was a blink of an eye and it was January. Yeah, there's so much to say there, but yeah, here we are, yeah, September. Here right? we are, September. almost almost in October when we're recording this, and yes, um, it's been a long and short year, and time flies, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah, time flies in that way, and you know, um, kids age quick, you know. So if you if you're on the on the um, if you have kids and you're going that route, then you know, school seasons come and they go really quickly and, you know, they go into kindergarten, mm-hmm. you wake up and they're in middle school and then you wake up there in high school <laughs> and then all of a sudden they're in college and this whole time. Exactly. Right. There's been an, mm-hmm. a later for you. Right. Right. Um, right. And, and then, yeah, what do you do um, at that point? Right. And so pulling back to that, you got to have some sort of for real tripwire on that. Right. And mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's a financial sort of thing. Like I will save this much in my current mm-hmm. job before mm-hmm. I jump out and do my own thing. Right? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. It could be a great goal or maybe it's, I will do this yep. for another two years. And if I'm still dreading this, then I'm going to mm-hmm. do something different. Right. Right. Um, right. Or I'm going to do this for six months and start looking for the next job in six months. Like whatever that is, just have that tripwire. And stick to mm-hmm. it, because um, otherwise, right. you know, later becomes never. Exactly. Exactly. I love that phrase. Yeah. So um, there are a lot of different ways we can go from here, but looking at the time and how much of your time I've stolen from you today. Oh. Um, okay. <laughs> Not stolen at all. I've enjoyed every moment. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I really appreciate um I really appreciate you coming on. And again, a lot of us, when we think about money, we don't think about those identity sort of scenarios, right? And, and what that's saying. We don't think about um, the feeling aspect of, you know, what we're, how we're making the money, right? And how that, um, um, what that does for us and to us. And then after we make the money, how, what our choices, you know, how those make us feel, you know, in different ways and so on and so forth. And so I think, um, and you, you know, I'll let you sort of wrap up and end on this. Um, I think the challenge people have when it comes to financial intelligence, personal financial intelligence is again, they make it about the head, the intelligence part and less about the heart. Right. right. Um, and right. the heart can provi- can supply a lot of a lot of really good guidance about the choices you mm-hmm. might make and and how to go how to go forward. I totally agree. Totally agree. And I think that uh, well, I, I think I think the piece that people forget is that if it were just about the math of money, the numbers of it, we wouldn't really need to have this conversation. <laughs> Right. Because two plus two always has, does and always will equal four. Like there's just no way of changing that as long as there's a plus sign between those two digits. But everything else around it in terms of how you experience the two on this side, the two on that side, the ultimate result has a lot to do with your circumstances, your choices, your beliefs, your expectations, your failures, because I think it's okay to like say when we've missed the mark, um, your successes and just how you integrate that and how you allow that to influence the story you either tell yourself or you tell other people. And I think the better we get at um, not feeling bad about where we may have fallen short of the marker and not having other people also help us to feel bad. 
and also not, you know, making other people feel bad for their shortfalls either. I think the better we get at that, the more we will be able to use money as a communication tool and a communication tool that allows us to speak to ourselves in a different way, that allows us to speak with other people in a different way, that allows us to have a conversation, as crazy as that sounds, a conversation with our business, a conversation with our career, and basically say, hey, what are you telling me? Like, what is this? What is this all revealing? And what are you trying to get me to pay attention to so that I can be engaged in the way that I need to be engaged so that I can make more of the choices that actually move me forward as opposed to the choices that keep me stagnant or indeed push me back? Yeah, absolutely. And feelings are data. Right. Absolutely. They're data points, mm-hmm. just like anything else. Yep. Right. Um, you w- yes. We wouldn't make investments without looking at the stock market and looking at the history. We use that as data. Um, exactly. But feelings are data in the same way. Yep. Totally. Totally, so, totally, totally. So as the guest, you get to leave our listeners with a challenge or an invitation um, that sort of pulls um, what most resonates with you from this particular conversation. So what would you invite or challenge our listeners to do based upon what we've talked about? So I would invite and challenge, it's a combination, our listeners to do the following. Go back and pull the last three months of your banking and credit card statements. Look at all of your transactions. And I call this exercise roll call. And do different highlighters, however you need to do it. But literally for every transaction, indicate or make a different color for whether it was something that made you happy, whether it was a purchase that was mandatory, or whether it was a purchase that now upon reflection you later regret. You tally that up for each month, you tally that up for a quarter, and you have a whole bunch of insight (laughs) and data about not only what you're doing with your money, but also where you might want to make some changes so that it's working more for you and you're getting more from it for your life. Jacquette, thanks so much for joining me today. As always, love jamming with you. Likewise, my dear. Thank you. All right, Creative Giant. So you heard it from Jacquette. Do a roll call over the last three months. Um, You know, look at your credit card statements, look at your bank statements, and really think about what choices have really worked for and nourished you, um, what choices did not. And um, I'm going to up the ante just a little bit. What are those in-between ones where you're not sure whether they actually worked for you or they didn't work for you? Because there might be a good place to find um, the place to maneuver and do something different. Until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to Productive Flourishing. To get more resources that'll help you finish the work that matters and be your best self in the world, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. If this episode warmed your heart or got your wheels turning, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review for the podcast on iTunes.